Hello, and welcome back to Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast. I'm Dr. Julian Brinkley, your host. In today's world, the way people get around is changing rapidly, from the emergence of ride-sharing and electric vehicles to autonomous vehicles and spacecraft. New technologies are fundamentally changing the way we move around our cities and beyond. I believe to understand existing mobility technologies, as well as to imagine what comes next, we must think beyond our understanding of mobility as purely getting from point A to point B, and must instead think about the experience of mobility itself. In this podcast, we will explore the design of mobility technologies with an emphasis on understanding how best to support the human user. We'll be talking to designers, researchers, engineers, and experts in the field about how they design compelling, accessible, and engaging experiences at some of the world's leading mobility companies. So whether you're an industry professional, an educator, or just someone with a passion for mobility, design, UX, and technology, this podcast is for you. Let's get into it. Okay, so welcome to Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast. Joining us today is Ahab Kaoud, the Chief Exterior Designer of Trucks and SUVs at Ford Motor Company. Ahab has extensive experience in automotive design, design thinking, UX design, and design management. Welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. I am overjoyed to have someone with your degree of expertise on our uh, podcast. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you for having me. I was very happy to have you. So let's jump right into it. So you've worked as both an interior and exterior designer for almost three decades. Can you talk a little bit about what initially drew you to a career in automotive design and specifically at Ford? Like what attracted you to Ford specifically? And I was always interested in cars since I was a little kid. So, you know, and I thought that car design is engineering, which is, it's not exactly. In high school, one of a drafting teacher saw me, I'm always kind of drawing cars and thinking about like new things that we can do with cars, interior and exterior. So he mentioned to me that was, I grew up in Southern California. So uh, he told me, you know, there's a school here in Pasadena that teaches car design. Uh, I said, wow, well, and, and you know, the rest is history really. Yeah, the Ford Motor Company, I think ever since the very first Ford Taurus came out, I was interested in Ford Motor Company. I interned, did my first internship with Ford, and they put me in the California studio, which was in Valencia, California at the time. And then I went back to school, and then I applied for another internship. They said, well, you know, why are you applying to with us again? I said, well, I do want to work Ford. But this time I want to go to Detroit, because if I work for you, I want to, you know, most likely I'm going to be in Detroit. So I want you to take me to Detroit. They said yes, and interned there. And, you know, pretty much I ended up with a job there. That sounds really interesting. Are there any, you know, specific, you know, environmental factors that maybe have caused you or really resulted in you staying up for so long or any kind of cultural experience maybe that you're having at Ford and like, you know, how Ford approaches you know, automobile design and things of that nature. And full disclosure, just a little background. I'm a big fan of Ford design, specifically the Ford trucks. I do have a Ford SUV now or a Lincoln SUV, so similar. And before that, I had a Ford Expedition. I'm a big fan of what Ford does. So I'm a big fan. No, what I was saying was, is there anything? So obviously to, to be at one place for almost three decades is a you know, is something that, you know, obviously there are things, there must be some things that they're doing right 
that really have caused you to want to stay for such a long period of time? What are some of those things? And can you speak to that? In general, is a good company to work for. If somebody does their job, they are always in the lookout for that person. For me, they always kept me on my toes with new challenges and so on. So in the span of three, pretty much 30 years, I worked in Germany, I worked in England, I worked in Brazil, and of course in the United States. And so I was constantly being challenged and going from one place to the next, which was for me very exciting. And that's really what kept me there my whole career. I have to tell you, at the end of the year, I did leave. I left Ford. So, you know, but nevertheless, a whole career at the Ford Motor Company, great company to work for, and they really take care of their people. Over the years, you've worked in, and that, you know, to me, they, they must really do a good job of basically taking care of people for people to stay for such a long period of time. But now I want to jump into a little bit of some of the things that you've actually worked on. So over your career, you've worked on several vehicles for Ford, a wide range of vehicles, the F-150 pickup truck range, for instance. So speaking about that specifically, you know, the F-150 is a really interesting vehicle, especially one that has been as successful as it's been over the length of time that it's been available. How do you keep, with a vehicle like that iconic, how do you continually reinvent it, right? Like, how do you kind of iterate on that design and keep it fresh? Like, how are you approach? What is your approach to that? By the way, my very first job at Ford was the interior, a vehicle that was called the PHN-131, which became the Super Duty, the first different body Super Duty that came out in 1999. And my last job at Ford was being in charge of trucks at Ford Motor Company, including that vehicle as well. The truck in general with Ford, it's sort of think of a love relationship, okay? And with any relationship, it's a two-way street. You have a customer who's interested in certain things and wants certain things, and they're vocal about it. And you have someone on the other end listening and doing something about it. And in return, we become the best-selling truck in North America. 46 years now. Last year was the 46th year of being best-selling truck in America. So trucks for Ford is sort of, you know, it's a company within a company, really. It's big. But again, it is a relationship. And that's what's important and what's interesting. I mean, there are songs out there about the F-150. There was a movie which i don't recall the name of but it was with adam sandler i believe and he's talking about he was given a habituary for his best friend and he says well this person was you know like the f-150 very dependable i thought that was interesting but that's really what it comes down to the last this generation f-150 which came out in 2021 we literally spend months, people on the road, owners of F-150 trucks, and even some of the competition, to understand exactly what are their pain points, what are they interested in, how do they spend their day. This vehicle, I mean, you know, an average price is probably in thirty to 40000 but it goes all the way up to over about 
almost 100 grains. So it's a wide range there. And how do you appease the person who's interested in the on the top of the line vehicle versus the person who's interested in a vehicle that gets him from point A to point B and gets his work done? It's big. And understanding the customer and understanding their pain points and delivering solutions for these pain points, that's really where it's at. So to follow up a little bit on that, because I can imagine that that would be really challenging. So if you have a vehicle that at an entry point might be, you know, thirty to $40,000, but then it goes all the way up to, and I don't know all of the models, but the F-150 Platinum and then, you know, some of those other the limited, some of those other really expensive trim levels, I could imagine that it might be difficult to really, so you might have a couple different customer profiles, right? Like your your persona that you might bring to bear for this, you know, thirty to $40,000 customer might be a little bit different, I would imagine, than maybe what you would have for the person who's buying the limited or the platinum or the King Ranch. I don't know if they still make the King Ranch. So when you're trying to figure out, you know, what the specific needs of the customer are, when, as you mentioned, it is, you know, kind of like a back and forth, like a give and take in terms of that relationship. How do you really do that? Like, what are some of the techniques? You mentioned that you were with drivers for an extended period of time to really try to understand what their pain points were. What are some of the techniques that you use to try to really get into the minds of these consumers and try to understand them? Observing, that is the biggest thing. And questions, constantly questioning what they do and how they do it. For this vehicle in particular, we had over 18,000 pictures taken of people putting things in the bed of the truck, taking things out. What happens? What do they do at lunchtime? I mean, a lot of these folks, they spend their lunchtime in the truck. How do you make it better for them? One of the biggest innovation on the F-150, and you see a lot of, you know, it's a big hit, is an onboard generator. And you have a truck, you have an engine, you have a battery. Why not have a generator there? For every one of these, a lot of these truckers, okay, they buy a generator, it's bulky, it's heavy, it takes space, and it's expensive. And you already have all the elements there, so turn it into a generator. And by the way, it can, you know, charge your house in in a case of a power outage for three days. It's like, voila. (laughs) And those are, you know, the things you learn by simply observing and understanding what that's about. Spending time at lunch. A lot of these guys take naps in their truck. Well, we came up with the full flat seat for that. So it's kind of like business travel in a truck. A lot of them use their, you know, they would write invoices in their truck during, you know, midday, or they would eat lunch in their truck. And out of that came the uh, the work surface that we have in, in the F-150 and, you know, and so on. So, and it all comes back to, you know, thinking, it comes back to observing and listening and not taking your learnings for granted by actually following up and doing something about it. So to follow up on that, so that's all really interesting. I think I also agree that observing, one of the things that I do with my students, I teach a course on inclusive design. So how to design technologies and a prototype for people with disabilities specifically, really in a universal perspective, but with a specific focus on trying to 
design technology to be accessible and usable for people with a range of different disabilities. So one of the things that I typically do in my early classes, you know, is to have students do an observational activity where they will, where I challenge them to go around and, you know, sit either at, you know, bus stops or, you know, different places where people congregate and figure out how people are basically using and interacting with technology. Because the thing that I tell them is, Oftentimes, the way we think people basically interact and use things is different from the way that they're practically doing it. So when you're actually observing what people are doing, you can learn quite a lot. So I find that really interesting that you all are using that type of approach to really understand the user needs. Now, we were in doing our research uh, to prepare for this interview. We came across an article where you mentioned that while you were doing research for the 2021 F-150, you actually lived with customers for a time and then watched how they use their vehicle. How did you recruit these people? Were these, you know, lifelong F-150 customers? Were these more of people who maybe responded to a uh, recruitment ad? How did you choose these people? How did you recruit them? You know, and, and how did you really approach this really in-depth need-finding exercise? I'm usually not involved in recruiting these people because we do have a company that does that for us. However, they are when we look for customers, it, we got to look at different ages, age groups, different mix, racial mixes, different levels, social levels, different, even different brands, and how and taking all of that into account. So you have a, a variety, you know, people representing groups, women, men younger, older, so on and so forth. And this is really what, you know, what you kind of begin with. It's not only Fords that we do research, but also competitors as well, because you always have to look at the landscape. It's not just us in the market out there. It's there are other ones too. And the reality is, you know, people do right, do things right as well, not just Ford. We got to keep up with the competition as well. That's really interesting. So really when reviewing the things that you've worked on, I really came away with the thinking that a lot of, or with the thinking that your approach is really very future focused, right? Like how can we kind of move design forward and what does that look like? You know, what are the specific trends and innovations? So are there any new trends or features that are you know, leading the charge in terms of how design is really being moved forward in the vehicle? Are there any new technologies that maybe are changing, you know, the way this in-vehicle experience kind of needs to be designed? There are a bunch, actually. And if one is always like a big issue for automakers, and that's the energy and what propels the vehicle. And because of that, we did the uh, F-150 Lightning. And it's interesting, especially with electric vehicles, because you don't have an engine anymore, but you have, you know, electric motors powering, you know, front wheels and rear wheels and so on. So all of a sudden, that big bay for where the engine used to be becomes like this huge trunk, which we call, you know, I'm sure you heard by now that term frunk, 
for the F-150, it's actually, you can actually put eight bags of cement in that front and it's lockable. So with a lot of these new technologies, there are these opportunities that come with it. So that that is big. In this case, the opportunity has to do with what propels the vehicle. But on board, we're heading into the autonomous age with AI and machine learning and so on and so forth. So that introduces different challenges and different and create possibilities as well. So how do you take that into consideration as you move into the future? is an an important thing too. The truck customer in general is very no-nonsense person. They're more interested in analog buttons versus digital. Probably this will change with time, with proven technologies, but generally they're more interested in buttons and switches rather than a computer screen. And a lot of the things we get back, well, you know, can I operate that with a glove on? They want a knob that turns up the volume or turn the audio system off, not having to look for it. So just very straightforward. You know, I have a job, I have a test that needs to get done. How do I do it in the fastest way possible? So in a way that kind of makes our job a little bit harder. How do we move our product into the future? But again, it's listening to what the customer is interested in and what they want and what the trend with this particular customers are so we can take their product and make it better for them. So that's really interesting. And there are a couple things I want to follow up on there that you just mentioned. So the truck customer, the way you describe them, interested more in analog controls, concerned about the ability to basically interact with digital interfaces and that, you know, muscle memory, the ability to basically do things without having to really look for, you know, where those input points are or what have you. Would you say that your understanding of the truck customer, like as you kind of think about what their needs are relative to the needs of some of the other types of vehicles that you've worked on, would you say this is more of a challenging customer to basically design for from a design perspective, a little bit easier because you have more of an understanding of concretely what they want? You know, what what do you think in terms of that? For us as designers, we always want something like the most futuristic thing possible. By the same token, we don't design for ourselves. We design for people out there. The success of a product is, is, is in the marketplace. It's not what other designers think, what the actual customer think. In that sense, it is a bit challenging, and we work around that. By the same token, as we progress and move forward, there are all these upcoming younger people that are growing up, and they grew up with computers. They grew up with iPads, touch screens, and so on. So the mentality changes, but it takes a bit of time. And for this customer, the technology has to be proven first because they are no-nonsense people. And rightfully so. I mean, their job is to get a job done. And most likely, this is why they're in a truck. It is challenging. By the same token, it's satisfying. I always say that especially designing interiors is more satisfying than designing exteriors 
because there are so many things involved. One of it, a lot of technology is coming into interiors now. The aspect of safety is very important. The aspect of ergonomics and knowing where things are as you're driving down the highway, very important. Integrating so many parts from different suppliers into something that looks holistic and worth the money that you're paying for it, including the colors and the materials and all of, and the ergonomics and the safety and the technology and the touch screens and all of that, that becomes very satisfying when you come up with something that, you know, people react to and are excited about and want to buy. Really interesting. So an, another thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is about the F-150 Lightning, right? So that seems like to me, when I first became aware of the F-150 Lightning, and I have an acquaintance who actually purchased one and uh, loves it, I was really intrigued by this because I was thinking to myself, you know, we're really, I've noticed over the years, the really advanced technology that Ford has started to put into the vehicles, especially when we talk about the human machine interface, right? And what you all are doing around HMIs and that type of thing. Can you speak a little bit to what the thinking was with the introduction of the F-150 Lightning and maybe anything you had to think about maybe a little bit differently in terms of addressing and satisfying customer needs. Is the F-150 Lightning customer the same customer as the same type of customer as what you would experience with the other range of the F-150 models? Or is this like a different customer? Is it more difficult to design for this, you know, F-150 Lightning customer? Can you talk a little bit about that? When we first started this, we had a lot of thinking about is this customer different? Are they interested in, in a more like a space type vehicle, something way out there? And we came to the conclusion it's an F-150 first before it's an electric vehicle. And that's why it's the F-150 Lightning. And I think we were right on target with that. As a matter of fact, the demand for this vehicle out there was way beyond the numbers that we thought we were going to, you know, the number of units we were going to be selling. So I think we did the right thing. So the customer is the same, actually, in this case, yes. Okay, so same customer. So the electrification of the F-150, so moving towards this electric F-150, still thinking about it being basically the same customer. Obviously, you mentioned the funk, so the stored space in the front of the vehicle. And that's one, you know, new advantage or new, you know, feature that you are able to add because you no longer have the internal combustion engine, for instance. So that's a, a new opportunity for design and for exploration, et cetera. Are there any other areas that you were able to really innovate from a design perspective in the F-150 Lightning, you know, because it does have this newer type of electric powertrain and this all new technology inside? The lighting system itself and how it works, I think that was one where it really kind of like turned up the volume knob on from a design perspective. But even with the front, the front actually became a project within itself. What can we do in there? At one point, we were 
talking about, okay, what goes in there? And we did a lot of design thinking around that. And there was like a whole team working on, okay, what can we put, you know, what can we put in there? What would the customer needs? The idea of that and the hood has a waterfall. You know what a waterfall is? The grill is connected to the hood itself. So when you open this thing, you have a, a low height to carry stuff and put in the vehicle. That was one of the things that came out of that. We have to have as low enough opening to be able to upload things in there. In it, we have underneath the front itself, we have an opening where can uh, use it as a, a storage within the storage, where you can use it as a little uh, you know, ice container with a draining hole. And the cover for that kind of comes up and you can actually divide the front into different parts for different things that you use in there. I have in there four different tie-downs so you can put things in and anchor them so they're not all over the place. PowerPoints within the front itself, USBs, all of these things. It actually became a whole project where we dedicated a a full-time designer to do the work on it. So I think that in itself was big for me. So what are some of the techniques that you use to basically iterate on this design? Like, were you, you know, prototyping? I can imagine, I'm just thinking about different ways that you might be able to prototype, you know, a front, for instance, you know, how you would prototype something like this, how you would basically get some uh, user feedback, you know, have people basically experimenting with, you know, these prototypes, you know, what what was the process there? Like, were you prototyping this in some way, shape or form and then getting feedback? Were you making something that was more or less high fidelity, like a production level, you know, type funk and then having people, you know, use that in some capacity? Like, what was the process for? Design thinking, I think, especially for commercial vehicles, design thinking is very important. And prototyping costs a lot of money. However, I think just to prove out an idea, it does not need to be all this glamorous things that you spend a lot of money on and takes a lot of time to actually develop it so you can take it to a customer and so on. Just very basic, quick iterations of, of doing, you know, prototyping, even with foam core and so on, that can get us there much quicker. And we tend to do that a lot now. So that was big and important. The second thing is, I think, working with different functions. We're not there as an island by ourselves in design. We work with cross-functional team, somebody from ergonomics, somebody from structure, somebody from safety, you know, but it's a whole team that you know, work together in getting these things. Sometimes I may have an idea, but sometimes also uh, somebody from another area of the company may have an idea that's even better. We got to take all of that into consideration and quickly turn out these prototypes and, you know, and have meetings around them, presentations, or even, you know, inviting other employees to look at these things and see what, you know, what they're thinking of it. You can get a lot of, you know, quick turnaround with a lot of ideas, either yay or nay, you know, very quickly that way. Yeah. So I think the emphasis on design thing, 
is really critical. And it's interesting to hear you basically talk about how at such a large company, you all are using some of those types of approaches to basically design and to get early and quick feedback. So I think that's uh, really critical. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about, so one of the big questions that we get frequently from students is basically, how do you get into this industry? Like whenever we have, you know, with all of our guests who we have on the podcast, we get feedback like, oh, that sounds like a really cool job. That sounds like an, you know, an excellent way to make a living. It sounds really fun. It sounds really engaging and creative and exciting. So we frequently get questions about how from students about how they can basically break into the industry. You know, how can they get these, you know, automotive design jobs, automotive UX jobs, you know, prototyping jobs, you know, all of these different types of really creative and innovative positions. Is there any combination of education and experience that you think that would make someone a good candidate for, you know, working on a team like what you were working on at Ford or, you know, what kind of background should they have? And what kind of education should they be getting? When a lot of jobs now that you've never heard of before that are popping up, like just the other day, somebody was talking about, you know, a chief AI officer. That wasn't there a few years ago. <laughs> that did not exist. So I think the landscape is becoming very different out there of how things get done. And it's going to get even more different as we go into the future. We have in this design team, we have engineers as well as designers, the creative types, as well as digital modelers, as well as clay modelers, sculptors. So there are so many things out there and there are so many things that are coming up due to technologies and so on and, and due to companies working on reinventing themselves. I think what's important for any student to know is that they need to follow their passion and what is their interest. And based on that, I think that, you know, they'll find the right job. For me in particular, I was always interested in drawing cars and sketching cars and that's how it, it started developing but there are others who are interested more in the mechanics of the vehicle there are others who are interested in technology and computers there is a place for everyone it's just how passionate you are and how much time are you willing to put into it to be successful so for somebody this is specifically speaking to some of what we see here, uh, my lab is located on an automotive engineering campus. So we have students who, you know, come into my lab with an automotive engineering background and they, you know, are more mechanically inclined. Then we have some students who have more of a design background. We have some students who come into the work that we do with a computer science background. So they're more computer scientists and software engineers. Some are more digital production arts and people who are modelers and designers from that perspective using digital tools. Are there any specific skills that you've seen from those who've been successful, you know, designers that you've worked with? What are some of the key skills? Is it the actual visual design ability? Is it creativity? Is it, you know, more of a research understanding and understanding how to do design thinking and how to need find and that type of thing. You know, what are some of the real critical skills that you're seeing? Yeah, it's really all of the above. But 
topping all of that or the umbrella over all of this is the communication skills and how do you communicate and work with a team of people. You know, in a classroom, you know, let's say 20 people are given the same project. Most likely, each one will come up with a different solution. And most likely, most all of these solutions are doable. But in a corporate environment, you're not going to have, you know, these 20 solutions need to end up with one that will be the producible one. Which one out of the 20 gets picked? This is where that overarching thing and that's communication. The ability to work with others and, and persuade or evangelize your ideas so, you know, so people are viewing it as the right idea, okay? And with the communication comes, you know, it really comes down to the bottom line. What is the cost? Why is this particular idea better than everything else? And a lot of that has to do with, again, the communication and your understanding of what is needed out there. That makes perfect sense. You know, I think one of the things that we try to really teach both in my lab and in the courses that I teach are basically communication skills and soft skills, you know, because the ability is one thing to have an idea, but it's another thing to basically be able to communicate that idea to other people, get them on board and get them to understanding what your thinking is. So I think everything that you just said is really spot on in terms of what will make people successful. So final question, who in the world of automotive design would you most like to take to lunch? Oh, wow. There are many. Or a role. You can either pick a person or a role. Frankly, the one person that really affected me in design at Ford Motor Company was Jay Mays. He was the chief design office for Motor Company for a great number of years. And I have a lot of respect for that man. He retired a good 10 years ago. But he's one of those people that, you know, I have a lot of respect for and learned a lot from. That's one. Well, I do greatly appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I know with the number of, you know, competing responsibilities that everyone has, it's not an easy task take time out of busy schedule to be on a podcast. So thank you for being on Designing for Movement, Ahab Code. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Anytime. Great meeting you. And whenever you want to have me again, please feel free to contact me. Thank you. That's all for today's episode for the UX for Mobility podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes and feel free to leave us a review to let us know what you think. And a special thanks to our guests for sharing their expertise with us and to our listeners for tuning in. Join me again next time for more exciting discussions on designing for movement, the UX for Mobility podcast.